You can return to your seats. If you're able to stand tonight, would you please stand? We want to welcome all of our guests tonight. If you're a guest with us, we're so glad you're here. You've taken time to come and worship with us this evening. If you're watching us on theantioch.com this evening, we welcome you into our broadcast. We pray that you're blessed by what you see, hear, and feel, whether it's live or archived. We're glad that you've taken time to watch us tonight. Amen. We want to give honor tonight to Senior Pastor Wright. He's not here on vacation with his family, but give honor to him. Amen. Amen. We also give honor tonight to Mother Wright, looking so regal over here. She can pull off a hat, I'm telling you, can't she? She can pull it off. Not everybody can pull it off, but Mother Wright can pull off a hat. Amen. We're glad. And also, what an honor tonight to have with us our bishop. And here's what we're going to do. I'm going to ask you before he comes. I know he probably wouldn't feel comfortable doing this, but I, I want to do this. Uh, some of you would know this. Some of you don't. But his schedule has been probably the busiest it's been in almost his entire ministry. In fact, in, several weeks ago we were talking, and he was he's only going to see Pastor David Wright like two times in almost a six, seven-week period. Because of traveling and everything. And he just was in Nova Scotia, did seven services in seven days. And now he went to Missouri, did their camp. He just got back late yesterday. And uh, he's here this evening. And I want to stop just before he comes. And we're going to pray that the Lord would strengthen him. That his, that his anointing would be upon him. And already know he's anointed and blessed. But we're going to pray that he has physical strength to deliver what God wants to do. Would you stretch your hand out towards the towards? The bishop, let's pray, Father, right now, by your name, by your word, we loose upon our bishop's strength tonight to carry the weight of the word as you have placed it in his heart. I pray strength would be upon him, his mind, his body, his physical man, Lord. God, a supernatural strength would be on him, Lord. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, we speak it now in Jesus' name. Would you clap your hands to the Lord one more time? Praise God. Praise God. The Lord bless you. You may be seated. I am the guest speaker tonight. This is my only service with you for the month of July. And it's just about that bad for August. You say, what are you doing? I'm just trying to obey God. The rest of it's his problem. Or somebody said to me the other day, are you enjoying all these vacations? I sure am. I went to 13 church services in uh, eight days in Nova Scotia. That was, if you don't like church, that's not much of a vacation. Went to five church services in three days in Missouri. See, for some of you, you wouldn't consider that a vacation, would you? This week, I get to go to Pennsylvania and ordain my brother Jerry Tipton as bishop of his church. And then the week after that, I'm going to Salem, Oregon and ordain brother Jim Dillon, bishop of his church. And then we get to keep children for a week while pastor goes to youth congress and then 
Then we're going to Florida and Mississippi for two weeks, preaching about nine, ten times, I think it is. And come home, get home on Tuesday and leave on Thursday to go to Connecticut and ordain Brother John Hansen Bishop. And, and then I come home, and I'm home for about two weeks, I think. So I don't know what all's going on. Haven't sought for any of this. Not looking for it. Just trying to be in the will of God. Praise God. I appreciate the prayer for uh, my strength. Uh, Thursday and Friday, I probably left church with less of me than I've ever, than I can remember ever in a long time. It was almost like called to war. It was that intense and so the Lord's doing something and I'm privileged to be some small part of that I look around some of you I don't know you don't know me I'm the old guy here I said that to Brother Shatwell the other day I was a day teacher and he was the night speaker in Missouri he said yeah yeah 70 yeah yeah I've seen you go six hours without even stopping teaching. How many seven-year-olds can do that? Well, call to war is about 30 hours of teaching in three and a half days, so I guess I'm not too old yet. (laughs) Praise God. Um, If you think I'm just punching the ticket tonight, filling the, the space vacated by the pastor then you don't know me at all and I know some of you don't know me at all Uh, my wife and I came here in September of 70 in fact in a couple months we'll be celebrating Antioch will be celebrating its 45th anniversary Amen. and so I was 24 and she was 19. Next time you tell somebody they're too young to do something for God. I know people that are, are upset when they have to turn 30. I was, I was thrilled to death to turn 30. I got so tired of hearing, aren't you kind of young to be a pastor? That 30 was a welcome event in my life. 40, not so much. 30 really was. (laughs) 50 really was. 60, 60, I don't know. And 70, that's a, hallelujah. I've been, I've been just frustrating my wife to death because I am 5,800 and, uh, 81 days from 85. She says, why Why do you do that? I just want to remember how much I got to do and how little time I got to do it in. And if 5,000 plus days sounds like a lot to you, just count count 15 years ago for you. And tell me how fast that was. 
Tell me how little time. The only person that thinks 15 years is a long time is a 15-year-old. Everybody else, it's not, it's not long at all. So, anyway, praise God. I have a word from God for you tonight. Some of you will hear this word, receive it joyfully, and be saved. Some of, it, some of you, it will confirm your worst fears. And it will be the catalyst for you deciding it's not worth it to go through all this. That's pretty upfront, isn't it? I wish, in some ways, I wish what I just said was hyperbole. I really do. I, I wish it was somewhat of an exaggeration. It is not. Having been involved in uh, leadership and oversight of a church now for almost 45 years, I I was thinking about this the other day. I've, I've come to recognize the symptoms of a person who's going to make it and the symptoms of a person that's only a matter of time till they chuck it all. I don't believe either one of those is uh, the case because of some uh, spiritual hand forcing you in a direction. If God predetermined your salvation or your not being saved, then he would be grossly Grossly unjust. The Bible says, as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So is he. Uh, in this context, you could probably interpolate that and say it this way. A person's attitude eventually reveals their destination. Because a person's attitude is probably the greatest indicator of whether they're just a religious person participating in some kind of experience, institution, or even some just spending some time with some nice people or if you really do know the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I'm going to read you my text, and uh, I want you to know it, it's it's not a direction. And if you try to overanalyze it while I'm trying to talk to you, you're going to miss the point. It's just a starting place. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning with verse 1. And since you'll be seated and I'll be standing, I'm going to let you stand just a little bit. If you would, please, in honor of the reading of the Word of God. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God 
and Sosthenes, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, to them that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, with all that in every place call upon the name of Jesus Christ our Lord, both theirs and ours. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always on your behalf for the grace of God which is given you by Jesus Christ. You may be seated. Now, at some point in the past in this church, I have talk much about what the grace of God is, what it isn't. I've spent a lot of time talking about peace over the last many, many decades, but especially uh, since 2003. Uh, I assure you tonight that the words from the Apostle Paul, grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, is not the biblical equivalent of how y'all, how you doing? It's not a salutation. It's not a greeting. It is actually an apostolic impartation of such importance. That every book the Apostle Paul wrote in the New Testament, within the first seven verses, you will find these words are very similar to them, except the book of Hebrews, which some say Paul did not write. But I am personally fully convinced that he did. And you say, well, why would it be in there? Well, first of all, it was written to the Hebrews. Everything else was written to the Gentiles with some... Jews mixed in who were converted in various locations. All but three of Paul's letters, epistles, were written to churches in a specific location, but were recognized to be uh, divinely inspired by God and then began to be passed around to various churches, even though uh, the people that read them were from other locations. Three of his, three of his epistles were of course written to human beings, two to Timothy, one to Titus. Uh, actually I guess Philemon would be in there too. So three individuals, four letters. Hebrews was writ, were, was written to the Jews and yet probably some of the most important things concerning grace and peace are spoken or Communicated to us in the book of Hebrews. What's the deal? What is the deal with grace and peace? And I don't mean this offensively. Really, I don't. Most of you do know that my mother was attending United Pentecostal Church when I was born. I was born on a Monday. I was in church on Sunday. Except for my four years at the Naval Academy, I've attended United Pentecostal Church all my life. I'm a district superintendent, as most of you know. So therefore, I am not anti-UPC. But I am, I do consider myself to be 
objective. Because first of all, I want to be objective with myself. Second of all, I want, I, I want to be objective to the people that God gives me the opportunity to minister to. And I will tell you personally that even in the most devoted churches, those who refuse for the most part to go through the motions, that are sincere, the sincere of the sincere, there are a lot of people that are just participating in a religion even though they are doing it ignorantly because they don't know any better. And then we have those enlightened folks that say that the grace of God is the divine favor of God, unmerited favor, and therefore it is our end all to be all, get out of jail free card, we can live like we want to live, do what we want to do, look like we want to look, look, Love what we want to love, but the unmerited favor of God, the grace of God, he is going to cover all that, and so everything is okay. That is, that is one of the worst perversions taught from pulpits across this country possible. It is so blindly ignoring obvious scriptures about the grace of God. How about Titus that says, the grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness and worldly lust and to live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. Doesn't sound like a license to sin to me. Because it is not. Divine favor is actually the reason behind what grace is. Grace is the supernatural empowerment given to us weak human beings to be and to do what pleases God because we cannot do it ourselves. What God asks is unreasonable. No, it's not unreasonable. It's impossible. What God asks of you and I, if we make those things a performance and judge and grade ourselves by our religious performance, they're impossible. Because God expects you to fail. And to fail again. And to fail again. And to fail again. Is failure okay? It depends on your perspective of okay. Is it okay with God that the sincere will will fail enough that they will eventually come to the end of themselves and realize that if they're going to please God and be saved, they're going to have to have a relationship with God that receives an empowerment from God to do those things that it's impossible for them to do themselves. 
Philippians 2.13 does not use the word grace, but it's probably the most accurate and literal definition of what grace is that can be found in all of the scripture. For it is God which worketh in you. The Greek word translated worketh there means to activate, to cause, to become operative, to empower. It's God who empowers you. Both to will, the Greek word is thelema, wish, want, or desire. And to do, the word do there is the verb form of dunamis, which is translated power. So, you and I don't even desire to be saved without God activating that in us. And we don't have any ability to fulfill His word. Except we allow the activation within us of his divine empowerment, which will enable us to do what we cannot do ourselves. This is so critical that the great apostle Paul, in writing to every people, every every believer, saints, all the saints he, he wrote to, actually did a divine impartation. When you study the tenses of the verbs and you understand exactly what he is saying, he is saying grace and peace from the Father be upon you. He is speaking something to you. He is speaking something upon you. And just like the Holy Ghost, you must lambano it. The Greek word lambano means... To take what is being offered. He's offering it, but you gotta to decide to take it. Grace, empowerment is offered, but you've gotta take it. You don't take it, you don't have it. And so it is with peace. Peace is offered you, but if you don't take it, you don't have it. Nobody received the Holy Ghost because they passively allowed the Lord to stuff His Spirit down inside their being. He offers the Spirit. He moves upon you with His Spirit. But you have to take what is being offered. That's what the word is, the the Greek word is in Acts 2.38 when it says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. The word is lambano. Look it up. Look it up in Strong's or Thayer's or Vine's or whatever. It is to take what is being offered. It's not wresting it away from God. That's not the idea. He is extending it to you. That is His divine favor. I do not deserve him offering to me a supernatural empowerment to do right. But he is so loving and kind and willing. He offers that to me. I've got to take it. There is not one day in my life that goes by where I purposely refuse to pray what I'm about to say to you. At some point early, really 
close to when I get out of bed. I'm going to say and pray these words. Father, I receive from you for this day grace, mercy, and peace. For without you, I can do nothing. Oh, those are just words. Oh, no, he knows I'm not saying words. He knows I'm confessing the absolute truth. I can't do this today. It doesn't matter if today is supposed to be one of those rare days where I can sit in my recliner and read on my iPad. I cannot make it through this day without Him. And even with Him, there are times I blow it. And peace, oh, peace. My, 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 my. You say, what is peace? Well, i tell you what it is. It's what you don't have. Because if you've got it, you know it. And you don't need somebody to explain it to you. And if you don't have it, then you need to do what the Apostle Peter said in 1 Peter 3.11. Seek peace and pursue it. Having peace every day needs to be your number one goal. I don't have gills. I cannot swim underwater uh, and breathe water through my mouth and expel it, it out my gills and somehow get some oxygen out of that. I, I don't have that ability. So therefore, if I'm living in the, in the environment of water, that environment is foreign to me. I was not created by the Creator to be able to survive underwater for very long. And I know people like that group called the Navy SEALs, and others that have learned to hold their breath for two, three minutes. Minutes. Not hours. Minutes. For the rest of us, I don't honestly remember the last time I tried to see how long I could hold my breath. It's not really something I'm interested in. I like breathing really regularly. 18, 20, 22, 24, 30 breaths a minute. I'm, I'm happy with that. Just short of hyperventilating. I, I'm, I'm happy with breathing. I'm not interested in holding my breath. It may sound strange to you for someone that graduated from the Naval Academy, but I didn't go to the Naval Academy to be underwater. Hallelujah. And I like being on top of the water. I enjoyed my time in surface, the surface ships, but I, I wanted to fly. So water's not my thing. And, uh, you know, there's a pool out back. The house, not my house, not my pool. But I've been in it a few times. I, I, it's okay just to get wet. I, and, and I don't really do that ever on my own. If it's not for the grandkids. I don't care if I ever get in it. You say, well, 
it doesn't feel good if it's hot out. Not near as good as going inside where it's air conditioned. I don't need the pool to cool off. At all. Ask her. Have I ever gone in that pool on my own willingly? Ever, ever? Not going to happen. I don't care if it's back there. You can take it, blow it up as far as I'm concerned. I wouldn't miss it. I'm honestly serious about that. We had some missionaries here the other day. We took them to eat. We took them to Severn Inn, sitting there on the water. Nice food, nice view, and all that. Well, how many times... If you've been on this water, let's see, I've been here 45 years, not counting my time at the Naval Academy, which where I was forced to be on the water. We may have, may have gone out on a boat 10 times in 45 years. That's probably high. And those times we're taking grandchildren or guests out on the harbor cruise or one year we went out to see some fireworks and I have no interest in the water. It's not my environment. I was created to exist in the air. (sighs) Not coughing, not having to... Some of you missing the point altogether. For the Christian... Atmosphere you were created to exist and flourish in is called peace. It's the only atmosphere you can really spiritually breathe in. There's some of you precious people here tonight. You can't hardly get a breath because of something that's pushing down on your chest. Well, you, you got so much pressure. You got so much difficulty. You got, you got so many bad things going on. You got so much grief you won't let God comfort you with. He's just pressing you down on the chest. I'm not making fun of you. I'm trying to help you. John 16, 33. You've heard me quote it. It won't be the last. This will not be the last time. The Lord will it. The last words of the apostle, uh, the last words of Jesus before he went out to Gethsemane to pray and then allowed himself to be taken prisoner and crucified that day. His last words to the apostles before that point. He said, these things have I spoken unto you that in me ye might, might, have peace. In the world, you shall have, King James word is tribulation. In our language today, it would be called trouble. Be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Folks, I can't, after 45 years, I, I, I still can't imagine I am shocked at how shocked people are when trouble comes into their life. I'm serious. 
This is one of, this is not one of those churches that preaches the lie that God, if you become a believer, God is going to make you rich and you'll never have a pain and your life will be like heaven on earth so great. You're not even going to want to go to heaven. It's so good down here. That's a lie from the pits of hell. There's no such thing in the book. They preach that to get your money. Because it's not true. And people that are willing to be deceived, boy, they just shell out the bucks. Because they're going to keep sowing that seed. So they keep getting rich. Really? So the word blessing is spelled with dollar signs, not S's? That's blessing? God's blessed some of y'all. He's taken you out of a life of drugs and alcohol and crime and all that. Hey, you, you, <laughs> you got a testimony of what God's delivered you from. You say, well, Brother Wright, you don't have one of those testimonies. Oh, yeah. I got a te- testimony of what God kept me from. I can't take any more credit for being kept from those things than you can take credit for being delivered from them. But I've been blessed. In the world, you shall have tribulation. You might have peace, but you shall have trouble. You don't have any choice with the trouble. You've got a choice with the peace. He cannot force peace on you. You have to willingly seek for and receive peace. But trouble, baby, it's on its way. And you know what's really awesome about that? Just about the time you solve this kind of trouble, a new kind shows up. And some days, you get to go through two different kinds of trouble at the same time. And then there are days where you get three or four, five or six or seven different kinds of trouble. And I'm really sorry, but I I just am dumbfounded by Christians with bad attitudes toward God when what he said was going to happen happens. I'm dumbfounded by it. It's like, what, what are you, where's your head? Or better yet, where's your heart? You know, when he said, lay not up your treasures on earth, where moth, moth, thieves break through and steal, and moth and rust does corrupt, but lay up your treasure in heaven, where thieves can't steal it and moth and rust can't corrupt it. He's not talking about money. He's talking about where your hope is. Well, I know you're old, brother, right? So I guess you're counting on getting out of here. Really? The first spiritual thought I ever had in my life, and I remember it vividly, was, I'm going to heaven. I was barely five years old the first time I ever had a really good prayer meeting. A real prayer meeting. 
And it's just as vivid in my mind right now as it was the night it took place at five. The move of God, what I felt for the first time in my life, how, how real it was, how, how powerful it was. And it wasn't over some financial blessing at five. The preacher was preaching that Jesus was coming. And at five, somehow I knew my dad wasn't saved. And he's away at the Korean War. And I prayed and cried and snotted for God to save my dad and not let him be lost. That was my first prayer. Looking back on it, it might have been intercession, as much intercession you could have without having the Holy Ghost. I didn't have it at five. But, buddy, it was a real prayer. And it only took God 28 years to answer it. That was 1951. My dad was saved in 79. Actually, the last Sunday of December of 79. Trouble. Trouble. He, he, he didn't say, if you'll follow me, if any man will come after me, let him take up his checking account and get his chauffeur to let him in the back seat of his rolls and follow me and I'll make him rich beyond his wildest imagination. He said, if any man's going to follow me, let him take up his, deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Follow you where, Jesus? To the place of crucifixion. That's what he did, you know. He carried his own cross most of the way up Golgotha and then had to be crucified on it. You know how many people Trade an eternity in Hades and Gehana for a few moments of living their own way, doing their own thing, running their own lives. My beloved brothers and sisters, if you're running your own life, then you're your own savior. Good luck with that. How's it working out for you so far? Are you pleased with yourself as God? Because whoever's running your life is your God. And if you're the one running your life, you're your God. You know why we, we run our own lives? Because we inherently know he's not going to let everything go like we want it to go. It's not all going to be perfect like we want it to. Oh, I want my life to be a bed of roses. Really? That's what he's given you. As long as I can remember my life's been a bed of roses. You ever seen any roses without thorns? Such a beautiful place. Oh, look. <laughs> yeah. My wife and I, we, we were we were right outside of Halifax in Nova Scotia, and we, we, we had we had a couple of hours, it wasn't much. Uh and, and we, we went downtown Halifax, and they had this beautiful garden there. 
and uh, City Park Garden, and we walked through there. And every time we'd come to some roses, she'd been way over and smell it. She said, oh, there's nothing like real roses because they smell. You mean there's roses that don't smell? Yeah, that kind you buy in a store. They, they, I don't think they're, those hothouse roses, they, they're not really real because they don't smell good. So your bed of roses are, is beautiful. And it smells so good. If it just wasn't for all those thorns sticking you all over the place and your bed of roses, it might be the perfect place. But isn't it just like Jesus to put thorns all over the branches of rose bushes to keep you reminded this ain't heaven? But some people get so offended with him. Oh! How can you let that happen in my life? How can you let this happen to me? I thought you were God. I thought you were good. I thought you loved me. How can you do this to me? I'll tell you how. Because you don't know anything about him. You don't understand what, he, what his purposes is, are. You don't, know, you don't know what he's doing here. You don't know. You don't know him. You wouldn't ask those questions. If you knew him. You wouldn't ask those questions if you knew him. I, I'm not trying to, I, I'm trying to help you here. Some of you got such twisted, warped ideas of what this is all about. We're supposed to come to church and the preacher's supposed to preach something that just absolutely makes us want to just fly away to glory right now. It's so awesome. And the singing and the, and, and, and the music and everything is supposed to be absolutely so great. It's the most beautiful thing we've ever heard in our life. And any of it that's just a notch be, be, below that. And I'm supposed to stand in my spot and everybody's supposed to come by and shake my hand and tell me how good it is for them to, for, for them to see me. I don't have to shake anybody's hand. I'm just waiting to see if everybody else is spiritual enough to come to me. Because my world is supposed to be perfect because I'm at the center of it. And it's a shame when God and people don't understand that I am their son, S-U-N, and their universe revolves around me. And I can't spit fire when they don't treat me right. But I'll spit out accusations and fuming and fussing. Really? Really? Now, I'm doing my best not to look over here. Because I'm trying not to get distracted. Oh, what's up with this red hat and matching red shoes? What is up with that? And she knew I was preaching tonight. I just, that's, that's, excuse me, but that ain't right. And, and look at all this. My Lord, look how long it's getting. That ain't right. She always hides it. And I'm preaching tonight and she's going to wear it like that to church? And I'm supposed to pay attention? 
I've said this before. I may be old, but I ain't dead. And I ain't blind either. And I'll tell you something right now, okay? We glory. It's only been a year that her hair's been glowing, growing back after chemo. Only a year. That, and the lady that helps her with all that says she's months and months. She said, I heard her the other night. I was listening. She said four months. That's not what that lady said. She was eight months ahead of schedule. Maybe longer than that. I mean, it's down to, to her shoulder blades in a year. That's why. That's, that's awesome, isn't it? You see, here's the deal. You, you prayed for us and you were kind to us and I appreciate all that. I really do. And, you know, and it's like we're all like this. People, you know, people are there for you when you really need them. But as soon as the crisis is over with, they got their lives to live. They're going about their business. You, you know what this hair does for her and I? This hair reminds us that we haven't been too long out of the trial. Cancer. What a frightening word cancer is. It is if you let it be. What a horrible thing. Oh, there's nothing good about having cancer. Eh, wrong answer. Oh, Lord have mercy. Do you know how much time we got to spend together? Do you know how much time we got to just hold hands and just be with each other? No words to say. I mean, there's nothing you can say to make it go away. So all you can do is just be there. Just be there. You say, oh, that was horrible. No, that wasn't horrible. That was, that was fine. Just, you know, you, you don't understand. When she's home, I take her out of town so I can have her attention. Because when she's home, it's all that she's supposed to do here. And it's grandchildren and kids that know they're down below grandchildren. And I'm somewhere down below kids. It's church, grandkids, kids. Me, down there. So, I take her out of town so I can have her undivided attention. Well, I don't mean this wrong, but last year... I had her undivided attention. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Last year, the only thing more important than me was Jesus. And I was happy to be number two to him. And you think that was a horrible trial? Some of the best days we've ever had as a couple. Some of the absolute best times we've ever had. Because we've been so busy all these years. We just have snippets here and there, just little flashes of opportunity to be, just be together, just whatever. See, that's the thing you don't understand. The very thing you may be the most offended over could become one of your greatest times of fellowship with Jesus.
But you get a bad attitude. And instead of drawing closer to him during your trial, you shove him away because he hasn't made your world perfect. And you are mad. I can't tell you the number of times she said we'd go sit in the waiting room at the infusion center waiting for our time to go, our time to go in for chemo. And we'd see people sitting in there by themselves. And she looked, she'd look at me and say, she'd take my hand and squeeze and say, I don't know how they're doing this by themselves. I'm so glad you're here for me. I don't know how they're doing this. You know what? I was thinking the same thing. I don't know how they're doing this. I don't know how they're doing this. When you let your attitude about what the Father has allowed you to go through, has allowed to come your way, put a gap, a wedge between you and Him, you do yourself the greatest disservice that you can possibly imagine. You've heard the story about the, the set of footprints in the, st- in the sand. Maybe you've read the poem. But the gist of it was, there's a set of footprints in the sand. And, 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 and the, the author says, you know, when everything was fine, Lord, I could see my footprints and yours, and we're walking along together. But when things got bad, where did you go? Because there's only one set of footprints. And the Lord's reply to the author of this poem was, those aren't your footprints. When everything was fine, you you walked yourself. You might have walked with me, but you just walked along yourself. But when trouble came, I carried you. I wasn't gone anywhere. I carried you. Oh, somebody needs to be listening tonight because some of you have had such bad attitudes toward your trials and your tests and your difficulties. You just fussed with God. Why did you let this happen? Why did you do this? Why didn't you fix this? And why didn't you change that? And you just fuss and fuss and fuss and don't even realize what you're cheating yourself out of. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. Jesus, help us. I'm going to read you something. I I, I heard this the other day. and I know I've read it, but it just shocked me. And I had to read it again, and it stuck in my brain. And I didn't really know why. Till the Lord began to talk to me about tonight. And here it was. I want you to read this carefully with me. Exodus chapter 4 verse 10. And I'm going to say this to all those that work our computer. After being in several different locations lately. And how long it took them to get the scriptures on the screen. Our crew does a fantastic job. They really do. 
Exodus 4 and 10. And Moses said unto the Lord, Oh my Lord, I am not eloquent, neither heretofore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Because the Lord told Moses to go be his spokesman. Listen now. Some of us going to have a hard time with this verse. And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth? Or who maketh the dumb? Or deaf? Or the seeing? Or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Huh? What? What, what, what did he say? That he makes the blind? That he makes the dumb so they don't speak? That he makes the deaf so they don't hear? God? I thought it was some fever or something. I saw it, thought it was some kind of defect or something. God did that? See, because we really have the same attitude that the Jews of Jesus, they did. When there was a man born blind, they want to know what sin he or his parents had committed. Because they automatically assumed, if you weren't born perfect, somebody's being judged for sin. Really? Really? That's not right. That's not fair. That's cruel. Who would do that? A God who lives in eternity and knows how short a space of time this life is and knows that this is not what it's all about. That's why... Our life is but a vapor. You can take this however you want to. It's my life, not yours. But I don't know where 70 years have gone. I don't know. I don't know. When I have all these memories, but I have to stop and think, okay, that memory, how old was I? And I do the calculations and I go, I was that old then? Because there's no age really attached to most memories. They're just memories. Because they all link together as memories. They're not a chronological uh, series of events in my life. They're memories that made impacts on me. Why? Because this life is a vapor. I've said this before. How many of you would be sitting here if there would never been any kind of trouble in your life? Never any kind of pain. Never any kind of problems. No difficulties. No hard days. No struggles. No trials. How many of you would be sitting here if your life had been heaven on earth up to this point? I didn't choose my skin color. Don't make assumptions about me because of that. 
you, you didn't choose your skin color. I don't have a right to make assumptions about you over that. You know, we both graduated from high school in Maryland. We didn't know each other back then. You were going to school here in Annapolis, right? Southern Anne Arundel County. I was in Prince George's County. Excuse me, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I graduated from Oxon Hill Senior High School. Just 10 minutes outside the D.C. line. I, I, look, I look, years ago, I looked at my graduation picture. It was one of those where everybody got in the football stands. They took them one of those big pictures. And I just put it up there and I, what? And I looked and I went, you know, after I'd become a pastor, and God was doing all this wonderful thing with people that he loved and he put us all together. And I looked at that picture and I went, my God, that's Maryland. That's not Alabama. That's not Mississippi. This is Maryland. Right out of sight of D.C. And there's not one person of a different color in that entire picture. 800-something kids graduating from high school in Prince George's County, Maryland. In 1964. I went, how, how can that be? I'm really, honestly, I was that shocked. And then, and then you and I spent some time together, you know, and I remember the conversation. You went to Bates. You went to Bates. Levester? Yeah. And they tell me, well, that school was segregated. Maryland? It's not, okay, Mississippi. Oh, yeah, those folks, they don't know what they're doing. Alabama. I mean, that's full of ignorance, right? This is Maryland. This is Maryland. How can that be here? Maryland? And then it dawned on me. I remember playing football against Fairmont Heights. Fairmont Heights was all African American. I didn't even think about it. They're a football team. We're a football team. We go play these guys. No big deal. You know, whatever. You didn't give any thought to it. Because you live in ignorance. I didn't make those choices. That's not what I wanted to be or what I wanted to do. Don't judge me by, I didn't have anything to do with my skin color. You didn't have anything to do with your skin color. God made me you. God made you you. God made me me. You you. You you. Right? I mean, God did, right? And every last one of us has good and bad stuff we have to put up with because of what people see on the outside. Because they want to define us by what they see on the outside. That's not me. That's not how I feel about stuff. What's my favorite color? 
Blue, not gray. Hello? I'm going back 150 years. My favorite color is blue, not gray. Anybody get that? Anybody got ears to hear? Don't judge me by this accent. Don't judge me by this skin color. I didn't make these choices. You didn't make your choices. But the attitude that I have toward what I have to experience because of that, that determines everything. My attitude. (laughs) You know, (laughs) we have a church where we've been blessed that people who don't want to marry someone that looks just like them is not only accepted but loved and you don't even think about it. Do you know how rare that is in society? You got a safe haven here. You're not judged, you're not looked at, you're not treated different. Now out there I can't Tell you what you may experience out there. Hello? Grace and peace from the Father. Why did I need grace and peace from the Father? I'm glad you asked. Second Corinthians chapter 12. Let's start with verse 7. Let's, let's find out why it is. I need grace and peace from the Father. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of the revelations, not the abundance of my stock portfolio, not the the prosperity of my 401K. Through the abundance of the revelations there there was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan, that was given to me. The word there given is didomei, which is the primary Greek word for giving someone a gift. Yes. Not cursed with it. Paul wasn't cursed with this. It was given to him out of love. Somebody needs to be listening. Oh, let's see if it... Let's see what our attitude would be toward the gift. What's the, what, what is the gift? I'm given a rose bed to live in. <laughs> Beautiful flowers, nice smell, and an abundance of thorns. A thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to, get this down. How would you like to know what the word buffet literally means? It means to beat with the fists. And the word messenger there is actually the word angelos, which is usually translated in most places, angel or spirit. So God, in his love for me, gave me, Paul said, a gift, a spirit from the devil to beat on me so that I can be saved. Because I have received such major revelations from God 
that I may not be saved because I might get puffed up. Now, I admit to you that if you haven't spent any time with Jesus, he hadn't done anything wonderful for you, you probably don't need a messenger from Satan. You probably are your own messenger from Satan. Some of us are our own worst enemy. We don't need a devil. We don't need a devil to remind us how, uh, what, whatever. We, we are, we don't need any help from anybody else to mess everything up. We don't need it. But listen here, please. Listen. I had so many wonderful things that God gave me that if He'd left me alone, with all that wonderful stuff he told me and the stuff he's done through me, I would have been lost. So because of love, he gave me a gift. He allowed a spirit from the devil to come and beat me up regularly so that I knew I needed Jesus. You see, most of us aren't spiritual enough to appreciate that. Because we wouldn't consider that a blessing. We would consider that a curse. But listen to what he says. Lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse 8. I remind you this was a gift from a loving father. A father that was doing what he needed to do to keep his son saved. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice. That's King James 1611 English for three times. Now if you walk up to me and say, I've gone to the store thrice, I'm going to go, we're going to pray that King James spirit off you. Yay. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. Next verse. Listen now. And he said unto me, Grace and peace from the Father be upon you. And he said unto me, My grace is enough for you. You don't need deliverance. You need to let me empower you to go through this so you can be saved. Your, my grace is, my grace is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in weakness. So what did Paul say? Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory. The word glory there, the word literally means opinion. And it also figuratively means to boast. He said, most gladly, therefore, I'm going to brag about my infirmities. I'm not going to brag about my accomplishments. I'm not going to brag about all the, the, the revelations I've got. I'm not going to brag about all the people I prayed for that got healed, the number of people rose from the dead. I'm going to boast about my infirmities. Why? 
that the power of Christ may rest upon me. If you ever experience that, you'll appreciate a messenger. If you ever experience that, you'll be thankful that the Lord's allowed you to walk through some very difficult valleys. That word rest there, rest upon me, is the only time it's found in the entire Greek New Testament. And it literally means to surround like a tent, to tabernacle upon. Meaning, my infirmities allow God to cover me with a covering of His power. Yeah. Next verse. Therefore, I take pleasure. Study the Greek there. If you think that word give a while ago is shocking. Those words right there, take pleasure in the Greek, means I have come to the decision that if I have a choice, I would prefer my infirmities over Deliverance from them. Because he realized those allowed him to be used and experience awesome stuff and still be saved. Hey, you know, this church is getting a little older. There's, there's a pretty decent number of gray heads and white heads and no hair heads in here. It's increasing. It's increasing. Now, hopefully, the number of young, young people being added will keep the balance in here, right? Okay? Really. But, you know, it, it's, it's happening. The clock will do that to you. Well, the clock will do that to you as long as you leave the bottle on the shelf of the drugstore. It'll, it happens. Anyway, I was trying to be funny, and boy, some of you didn't take that funny at all. Woo! Praise God. Hallelujah. I blew that one, didn't I? Wow. Oh, boy, did I get a tidal wave back on that one. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's see if I can get it back. <laughs> For your sake, at least, hopefully. Here. What was I saying? Before I get smothered with all that resentment over my statement. I was talking about Coke. Don't you drink Cokes? On the shelf in the, <laughs> in the drugstore? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe one of you, you maybe maybe you're one of those five hour energy addicts <laughs> hallelujah oh where was i god help me here i forgot what i was what was i saying come on help me out man what oh yeah taking pleasure taking pleasure hallelujah huh yeah, the clock is making me older by the second. 
Woo! Praise God. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> it's, it's really, sometimes it's a great burden to be sensitive. Because it would, sometimes it'd be better just to not hear all that and feel all that when it happens. It's just tune it out. But I can't, you see. I, I've spent all my life essentially seeking to be as sensitive to the Holy Ghost as possible. So I can't turn that off when you want to pour it back on me. So, hallelujah. And aren't you happy I'm older? Because this is not how I responded to that 20 years ago. Some of you can say amen to that. Yeah. It's not, it's not how it would have happened. No, I wouldn't be chuckling with you right now, would I? I'd go, okay, who's next? <laughs> all right, you want to talk about this? Let's talk about it. <laughs> so, all right, praise God. There is a message from the Lord here. I need to get back at the flow of it. <laughs> Praise God. Paul said, I take pleasure in my infirmities. We're back on 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10, if I'm not mistaken. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong. Now, the implication here is that Paul is implying that ultimately God is the one that allowed all of this to happen to me in his plan. Right. Infirmities are, is any kind of weakness. Any kind of in, inability to do those things that are expected of us to be able to do. They can be physical infirmities. They can be emotional infirmities. They can be mental infirmities. They can be whatever. Infirmities. Reproaches. Reproaches and persecutions are not totally dissimilar, uh, in in the, the mechanics of them. But here's where they're dissimilar. Reproaches is when people that I know and have some reasonable expectation of their good favor and good treatment, when they treat me bad. Reproach literally here means to be treated in such a way that you are shamed. And you can't be shamed by people that you don't know and that you don't really care about their opinion of you. So, you know, how many of us have said this way? If a sinner had treated me that way, I could have taken it. But a Christian's not supposed to act like that. So I have a right to be offended. And to hate their guts because they don't have a right to act like that they're a Christian. But I'm a Christian and I have a right to act like that. I think my Bible says... Offenses must come. So, newsflash, 
If you've been breathing longer than about 15 seconds, you've experienced some offenses in your life, and there are more on the way. Good news. There's more on the way. And your salvation is dependent upon whether or not you let the Lord help you deal with those offenses. Because trust me, humanity can't do that themselves. It is not in my nature or your nature either to forgive. Forgiving is one of the most supernatural, God-empowered things you will ever do. Because it is so foreign to humanity. And then necessities. I don't know why he put necessarily necessities in between reproaches and persecutions. Maybe it's so we could get, we could catch our breath, except will you realize what a necessity is? You know that verse that says, but my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory. Some very misinformed people think that verse means that God If God is doing his job, you're never going to have a need because God's going to supply all of them. And yet the one that wrote that verse in Philippians 4 also said that he was in fastings oft and hungerings oft. You know the difference between hungering and fasting? In fasting, you've got food and you choose not to eat it. In hungering, you'd eat, but you don't have any food. The one that said, my God shall supply all of my need went often through periods of time where he was hungry and would have eaten, didn't have any food. What's the clue? The clue is, he did not say, my God shall supply all of your needs, plural. He said, my God shall supply all your need. And what is your need? Martha comes to Jesus and says, Lord, Rebuke Mary because she's left me a cert to serve alone. He said, nah, not going to happen. You know why, Martha? I'm paraphrasing, obviously. Because Mary has chosen, he said, there, there's one needful thing, Martha. And Mary's chosen the good part and won't be taken away from her. The Greek is literally this. Of one, there is need. So the need that God is going to supply according to his riches and glory is not a thing. It's a who. Because that same one is going to let you learn how to be full and to be empty. Yea, doubtless. You know, this verse is so Perverted, it's taken out of context. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Give me a body of water and I'm going to walk on it. I prove I can do all things through. Yeah, I, I, put some fire down here. I'll walk through that. Yeah, I'll, li- I'll lift up this thousand pound rock because I can do it. A- uh-uh, no, no, no. You want the, the context of that verse? Okay. I'll give it to you. Philippians chapter four. Let's go to verse, uh, Let's try 12. See where we are. Let's go one previous verse to start with. 11. 
Not that I speak in respect of want. For I have learned in whatsoever state I am, whatever condition or situation I am in, therewith to be content. Not me. God's going to take care of this or I'm not going to serve him. Because this ain't fair. This ain't right. God's not just. This ain't good. Really? Then you're just not going to make it. You're not going to make it. He's not going to be intimidated to give you what you want when he's going to give you what's best for you. Because he loves you. Oh, God, help us. I don't believe in mistreating children. I don't. I don't believe in abusing children. But some people have so perverted that idea that they give a kid anything he wants. Which today includes no boundaries, no guidelines, no parenting. Whatever you want to do, you go ahead and do it. Because I'm not telling you no and get in trouble with the man. Well, let me tell you what. If you're going to put me in jail for telling my kid no, it's Get get me a nice pad, okay? Some place to sleep. Or I'll sleep on the floor if I got to. Because the Bible says iniquity is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction will drive it from them. That's Bible. It's Bible. I'm not talking about abusing a child. I'm not talking about beating a kid. I'm talking about saying no and meaning it. Because you love them enough to say no. Not that I speak with respect to want, for I've learned whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Now, you have any idea why you need grace? Next verse. I know both how to be abased. I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. Ready? Here it comes. Next verse. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. What is it, what does what Christ strengthen me to do? To have a right attitude, a spirit, and trust God no matter what my circumstances are. Because... Some of us think, if I'm in a situation that I don't like, I don't agree with, I'm uncomfortable with, that gives me a right to complain and to bail. Let me tell you what, if you're bailing out of the will of God, you better check that parachute before you jump. It's got holes in it. If you're bailing on the will of God, because it's not convenient, and you're looking for a more comfortable, easier way, a place you like it better, a situation you like better. You better, you better check who packed that chute. Cause when you bail, you may not like the results. The idea that the will of God is pain free, problem free, and pressure free. Somebody needs to tell Job that. Because he was in the will of God. He was in the perfect will of God. The problem isn't your circumstances, it's you. It's your attitude toward your circumstances. It's your attitude toward God because of the circumstances you're in. I don't like this. 
Now, it's fresh tomato season. And awaiting me. Tell me there's still some there, right? Okay, good. Awaiting me at home are some fresh tomatoes. And some fresh bread. And I'm going to get home. Since I'm a little bit hungry, I'm going to do three of them instead of two. Man, put that mayonnaise on that bread slice. She's not me. I did that the other night. Sliced tomatoes up and put them on that sandwich and put a little salt on there. Get some good old iced tea to drink it with. Gourmet food is none better any place in this world. Oh, Lord. If the tomatoes are good, there is no chef in this world that I would choose his best dish over that. And I'm not blowing smoke. And if you know me, you know I'm telling the truth. I was preaching in Missouri this week. And somehow they found out I like tomato sandwiches. So they were doing something special for me. And they did something special for Brother Shatwell. And uh, and so in the in the Friday night service, I'd done my time. And I was sitting there. I was participating with Brother Shatwell, trying to flow in the spirit, getting ready for the preaching. And Brother Brother Graham, the district superintendent, was he started on something. I appreciate Brother Wright, blah, blah, and, and we want to do something special for him. I'm going, okay. He walks over to the edge of the platform with this basket. I'd already been told they had reservations that night at P.F. Chang's. And I was already trying to find a way out of that. I'm not kidding. And he walks over with this basket. He said, we heard that Brother Wright loves tomato sandwiches. And we have made it possible for him to have some tomato sandwiches. And he handed me this basket. There were four big old tomatoes in there and a whole loaf of bread. And a little jar of, of mayonnaise and some knives and, and, a, and a dish towel and salt and pepper. It was all in the basket. And when I saw that, I leaned over to the district secretary sitting next to me, and I said, this decision is made. You can inform them I'm not going to P.F. Chang's. I'm going to my room tonight, even if I have to make them myself, and they don't taste as good when I do it. Because I don't know how to put the sweetness on there that she does just by putting the love in those things, okay? But I was doing the best I could. And so he said, okay, well, if you really mean that, I'll take you to the hotel after we're done. I said, as soon as the Lord releases me, get me to the hotel. And I couldn't take it on the plane the next day. Couldn't do it. Wasn't going to be allowed. So, so I got all set up at the, the desk there in that room. Got that tape. Got that. Got that towel laid out, got my bread all ready, had me a Diet Coke all set, ready to go. Started making me tomato sandwiches. One was not even the appetizer. It was the appetizer to the appetizer. The second one, boy, now we get to the appetizer. The third one, we begun the entree. And I'm thinking, you know, I haven't had these in a long time. And all this stuff, i got to leave all this here tomorrow. So I said, might as well. I made a fourth one. 
They're not, it's not a lot to them. You understand that, don't you? It's just a cup of pieces of bread and some tomato. That's what I'm telling myself, see. So I thought, you know what? It would be a shame to let these tomatoes and this bread go to waste. Yes. I didn't know what those dear ladies were going to clean that room were going to do. They, they might, they, I, if they took it home, I'm happy. But they might have just thrown that away, not knowing who I was and where that came from, right? So I decided we were going to minimize the waste. And I went for my all-time record and decided to show moderation and quit there. I had another whole tomato wasn't even touched yet. Big, oh, they were good. So I get on the plane yesterday, and my wife says, uh, what, what do you want tonight? You, you want to stop, get something to eat, or you want to go get tomato sandwiches? I said, you asked me that question? How long have we been married? Oh, okay. I said, do you have some? Oh, yeah. Three last night. You know, tomato season isn't, isn't very long. You've got, to, you've got to do something about that while you got a chance. Because those hothouse tomatoes, they just don't get it. They're not crunchy enough. Right. Right. So, you see, I'm not trying to drag time out for you. I'm trying to obey God because as soon as I'm done here, I got tomato sandwiches and tea waiting on me. So I'm, I'm going back to the point. <laughs> Put that last scripture up on the screen you had, please. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. If you're struggling with where you are, what your circumstances are, what your difficulties are, then you are not learning how. To do all things through Christ that strengthens you. You're not learning. So we go back to 2 Corinthians. I'm trying to quit. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 10 again. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities. I prefer, I prefer, I choose infirmities, reproaches, people I know and love. Treat me bad when it shouldn't be treating me bad. Necessities. There are things I need, and the Father who owns the cattle on a thousand hills, gold, silver under the hills, He is choosing not to supply it right now. <clears throat> to check and see what my attitude is. And persecutions. That's when people I don't even know treat me bad. And they usually, to make this real, they usually add in some physical stuff to Oh, and then here's number five. Tribulation. Just hap or distresses. Just happened to be the same Greek word in John sixteen thirty three. In the world you shall have tribulation. It's distresses is pressure. Situations that cause pressure. If you've got peace. The pressure never gets inside. The circumstance is there, but the pressure never gets inside. The grace of God is there to enable you to go through anything. And the peace is there to keep you from being troubled. Or you, you've you learned how to cast all your care upon Him. 
Hear me. Dear, dear ones, hear me. After 45 years, I'm telling you this right now. 99.999999% of the people that don't endure to the end do so because they never learn how to have a right attitude and trust God in their trouble. They're offended with God over what they're going through. They got God and other people to blame stuff on. And they absolutely never learn how to appreciate the valleys the Lord lets them walk through. I've said this so many times at this church over the years. One of the greatest revelations God ever gave me. It's simple but profound. This ain't heaven. And to have expectations that he somehow has made promises to make this heaven for you. He never promised to make me perfect and flawless. He never promised to make my marriage perfect and flawless. He never promised to make my world perfect and flawless. He never promised to make the people I go to church with perfect and flawless. He never promised to make the preacher that preached to me perfect and flawless. He never made any such promise. He never promised me perfect health. You know what? Everybody loves sunshine. But you let it get about 95 degrees and find out how many people don't appreciate sunshine right now. And if it's been hot and dry... If it's been hot and dry and it starts raining, oh, praise God, it's raining. You let it keep on raining for another day or so. And see how many people start fussing with the rain. And there's some people that like colder weather. But you let it get cold, stay that way a little while. Well, I'm ready for it to get warm again. I got some friends, honestly, that God called to places where it's 72 to 75 degrees most of the year round. Now, you may be one of those people that envy that. But you need to ask yourself a question, what that says about you. Because I love Maryland. It's got four very distinct seasons, and they're all about the same length of time. And every one of them's got its blessings and its challenges. And to make peace with that, to make peace with that, and to give God thanks because the the rain comes from God and it falls on the just and the unjust alike. And I got to have, I, I've got to learn how to have peace with that. Now, all of us have preferences. If I was hungry enough and I didn't have anything else to eat and somebody had some raw raw oysters, that's a tongue twister for me, I'm sorry, I could probably be convinced to eat a few to keep from starving to death. 
But that's about the only circumstances under which I do that. But there are people here, I guarantee you. My father-in-law, my Lord, he loved them. He thought they tasted so good, he put cracker on the bottom and hot sauce on the top so he couldn't taste it. Because the taste was so good. The taste was so good, he he knew he couldn't handle it if he was eating those oysters without cracker and hot sauce. It would just be so good, he couldn't handle it. If are they, you eat them regularly without hot sauce or crackers. Okay, all right. Well, then both ways. It's like the folks that have to put ketchup on everything. My wife makes a wonderful roast and some great gravy. But I have offspring that will go unnamed that have to add ketchup to that. Why? Why? Is that the only way you can stand it? I mean, I I like fries without ketchup. I like ketchup with my fries. I like fries with my ketchup. We all have our preferences. There's no sin in having preferences. The problem comes down to when I develop an attitude toward God because he has, in his will, put me in situations that are so far from my preferences to check my attitude and spirit. Oh, okay, I get that. I'm going to do like Abraham. I'm going to offer my son to God because he's going to give him back. I got to be honest with you. I've given some things to God he didn't give back. And let me tell you something else. You don't ever know which way it's going to go. I was thinking about this the other day. We're rapidly approaching the 10th anniversary of a me no longer being the day-to-day, week-to-week pastor of this church. <coughs> and I stood somewhere right about in this area. Right about here, wasn't it? <coughs> and preached that message because God said do this and I'm going to obey God. And I preached that message about Moses and Joshua. And David and Angie came down front. I put my hands on their head and I said, this is what's going to happen. This is the way it's going to be. I did what God said do. And I sat the other day and, and thought, you know what? I had no clue what that was going to cost me. <laughs> if you would have tried to have explained to me the price of that. I would have had no ability to comprehend it. Was it the will of God? Absolutely the will of God. Nobody pressured me to do that. Nobody told me how to do that except Jesus. I obeyed God. And I thought I knew what it meant. But I was clueless. 
Do I regret doing it? Absolutely not. I obeyed God. He said, do it. But I had no idea that my life would be forever changed from that night, December the 18th, 2005. Forever changed. I wasn't even 60 years old yet. I was just a pup. I was, it was exactly two months short of my 60th birthday. I wasn't sick. I wasn't tired. I wasn't sick and tired. I wasn't through. I wasn't wanting to quit. It was the next step for this church. That's what God wanted. And I knew the process was going to be long and it was probably going to be difficult. And we're still in the process and it's still difficult. But I had no clue except the Lord said, do it, and I did it. And i got to be honest with you. There's been a lot of days he and I have had to talk about it. Not about me going back, but about what it meant to me, what it did to me, what it cost me. I've said this before, and she might, she, my wife might, You got to know me really, really, really well to understand what I'm about to say. That the greatest act of Christianity you will ever see demonstrated by Chester Wright is to sit on this platform with somebody else in this pulpit when there was no pulpit here before I got here. And for 35 years, the only reason I wasn't in that pulpit is because the Lord said to put somebody else in it or I was off doing something else he told me to do. Because other than that, understand what I'm saying, this is my pulpit. But the Lord made it very clear to me that for this church to eventually get to where he wants it to go, Nobody can own a pulpit at Antioch. Nobody owns a pulpit at this church. It's been a long time since I've even noticed it. But right down here where people can't even see, there's some little tiny lines. And the first three lines says, in memory of Reverend Mack Wright and Reverend Remus Franklin Singletary. And down below that away is on the bottom down there below them. There's two more lines in honor of Bishop Chester or Bishop C.M. Wright or Chester Wright or whatever. I can't read it exactly. Really small down there. I don't even know why they're down there. I don't know who made that decision. I don't remember making that decision. So my name's on this pulpit. not my pulpit it is a privilege beyond any ability that I possibly can express to you to stand in this pulpit and preach to whoever gathers here whatever service it is I would if I had a choice if the Lord gave me a choice 
This is where I would choose to preach over every other opportunity to preach anywhere in the entire world. But it's not my choice. I have to go where he sends me, do what he tells me to do, say what he tells me to say. Because that's the price of being a man of God. I'm going to say it one more time, and I know I've gone a little while here. But (laughs) in 45 years ministry, I've never seen anyone backslide who learned how to have a right attitude toward God, no matter the circumstances or situation. They went through. I don't mean they didn't have pain. I don't mean they didn't weep sometime. I don't mean they never got frustrated. That's not what I'm talking about. But when all the dust was settled, they had the grace of God work in their life. And they were living in the peace of God. <clears throat> Regardless of their circumstances. Those are the people that make it to heaven. Those that don't, it's only a matter of time till something comes along bad enough or frustrating enough that you get angry with God and stomp out of his presence, railing on him, telling him how unfair, unkind, uncaring he is. It's only a matter of time. I'm not going to wait for the screen. I'm going to read these. If whoever's on the computer can keep up. I just want to read this to you. 2 Corinthians 4, beginning with verse 7. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. We are troubled on every side yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. In other words, the world is watching. And the Lord lets you be a living testimony for him, whether you know they're watching or not, because they watch how you go through things, and if you have the same attitude and spirit that every other human in this world has, they mark you off and mark your faith off. But if you can walk through with peace, with a right attitude. We've had people talk to her over the last few months. They watched day after day, appointment after appointment. 
they checked her out. They, they noticed something was different right away, but they wanted to see how consistent it was. And they've said, Oh boy, you're just so different than the average person we see here. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. We having the same spirit of faith according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. We also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise up us also by Jesus. And shall present us with you. For all things are for your sakes. All things are for your sakes. Not just the things you like. But the things you don't like. Not just the things that cause you to smile. But the things that cause you to weep. All things are for your sakes. That the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many redound to the glory of God. For which cause we faint not. But though our outward man perish. Yet the inward man is renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, temporary. But the things which are not seen are eternal. Which side of this fence do you live on? Which side of the fence describes your life? Are you willing to have an attitude that says, Here I am, Jesus, you bought me with a price I do not belong to myself. Do with me as you choose and give me the grace to trust you and have an right attitude through it. And give me peace while I'm going through it so that you can be glorified. So your name will be praised. So your kingdom will come. So your will can be done in the earth because I am a living epistle of your goodness and grace. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, there isn't anything going on in your life that God couldn't instantly change it in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye. So if a good, gracious, kind, loving, merciful God is not changing your circumstance, then what's the deal? He's got other things going on. There's a bigger picture than you're looking at. And he has called you to be a part of that bigger picture. Oh, dear, dear ones, if you could just make peace with this, it would change your life and change your world. And it would change the world of others around. There were four guys one day who had a friend that was sick I don't know how long he'd been sick 
But there was a house that something was going on in. And they said, let's take our friend to that house and see what might happen for him. When they got there, the crowd around the house was so great. The house was so packed because Jesus was in the house. But they knew if they could just get in the house where Jesus was, something could happen for their friend. So they climbed the roof and began to tear the tiles off the roof and made a hole big enough to let their friend down in the house. And Jesus made him whole. Do you know why we have empty seats? Because there's not enough Jesus in this house. And why isn't there enough Jesus in this house? Because there's not yet enough Jesus in me. And enough Jesus in you to fill this house up. Because where Jesus fills the house, you won't have to worry about how many people show up. You can fill the house with music and singing and preaching. You can fill the house with prayer. But that's not going to affect the outcome of all that. If you'll fill the house with Jesus. If you'll just fill the house with Jesus. If you'll just let the Lord use you as a conduit to fill the house with Jesus, there'll be more people outside than there'll be room to get to the inside. And we'll see signs and wonders and miracles like we can't even imagine. Because where Jesus is and people with faith and need show up, miracles happen. Miracles of deliverance. Miracles of inner healing. Miracles of wholeness. Miracles of salvation. Where Jesus fills the house. Antioch. Antioch. I beg of you. Let's stop being satisfied. With the amount of Jesus that's in this house. Just like he's filled you by his spirit. He's willing to fill this house with his spirit. He said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. I pray for this church, Father. I pray for the individuals and the families of this church. I pray for every ministry of this church. I pray for myself, for my family. For other leaders and their families. For every, every child of God and their family. I pray for every ministry that's taking place through Antioch right now. I pray, Father, that you would grant this one request. Let our lives, let our prayer, let our ministry, let our church, let our, our homes be filled with you, Jesus.
When's the last time you said, I, something's wrong with me? I, I don't know what's wrong with me. Something, what, what, what's wrong? What, what's going on in this house? What's wrong going, what's wrong with our family? What's going on? What's wrong? I'm going to give you the simple but true answer. There's not enough Jesus in your life. There's not enough Jesus in your family. There's not enough Jesus in your home. There's not enough Jesus in this church. There's not enough. If you need to go, you're absolutely welcome to go. The old man has preached and you knew I wasn't going to go short. But if this word has talked to you at all, would you just, just demonstrate your faith a little bit just by moving toward the front, whether you get here or not? Just take a moment. If you need to go, no, no judgment, no criticism, no, no wondering what's going on. But if the Lord's talked to you at all here tonight, why don't you, why don't you make your way toward the front and just say, Jesus, I'm demonstrating my desire just by stepping toward you, Lord. Here I am, Lord. I, I want to be a part. I, I want what you've got to give. I want it, Father. I want to be a part. I want to be filled with you, Jesus. 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 I want my life to be filled with you. I want my home to be full of you, Jesus. I want whatever fellowship I'm participating in to be filled with you. I want whatever ministry that I'm participating in to be filled with you, Jesus. I want the praise that I participate in to be filled with you, Jesus. I want every prayer that I pray to be filled with you, Jesus. I want every person that sees me to sense, I want them to sense that I'm filled with you, Jesus. I want them to feel you that I'm filled with, Jesus. In the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, hallelujah, 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 in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Ye katatalaradorobokura tatahaya. Ye katatalaradorobokura tatahaya. Ye katatalaradatahaya. Ye katatalaradatahaya. My, 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 my. Cast all your care upon him because he cares for you.
Cast all your cares upon Him because He cares for you. Seek peace. Pursue it. Receive grace. And let grace activate in you a desire to know Him and be filled with Him. Let grace activate in you the ability to do those things that please Him and to not do those things that displease Him. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Thank you, Father. 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 Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus. 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 Tie kata tolororobokorata tahaya. Tie kie kalarata talarata tahaya. Tie kalarotobokorata tahaya. Tie kalarata lorotolorotobokosata tahaya. Tie kie kolorota larata tahaya. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Hallelujah. I'm going to lay this mic down. When you're through, you're welcome to go. Praise God.